ever wondered what the murderous father from Twin Peaks would look like cosplaying as Vulcan Herman Munster? Find out in this exciting episode of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. Coming at you right about now. Hey, welcome everybody to STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. You ever feel like rewatching every single episode of Star Trek The Next Generation? I sure do. Well, good, because there's no shame to it. There's nothing wrong with doing that, and that's what we're doing here. I'm Commander Davey Dave. And I'm Ambassador Andrew, and we're, we're, we're two older gentlemen who could be spending a lot of our time fixing the problems of the world. So, for instance, Commander, earlier today, I had the brilliant solution on how we could solve global climate crisis. Okay. But then it, it led me to think about a, a good fart joke with Worf's butt creating greenhouse gases. Totally forgot the solution. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. I love the way you're laughing all the way to the apocalypse. Wonderful. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you know, we do think about this idea, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there that are doing probably more important work, but we actually are trying to entertain people and to uh, to share our appreciation for one of our favorite narratives, which is Star Trek The Next Generation. Yes, I, I, we're, we're bringing joy to your dark little lives as best we can and to our dark little lives as well. It's a tough time, man. That uh, atomic clock is is running out of things to to click on. We're going to spend our final ticks on Star Trek, I guess. Yeah, so 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 feel free to uh, you know, put your feet up and spend one of your remaining hours enjoying a delightful conversation <laughs> with us about Star Trek the Next Generation. Look, that's the kind of thing that should make everybody stop listening to this podcast right now and go outside and get some fresh goddamn air. Jeez. They could be outside getting fresh. They could okay, be I'm like, sorry, exercising right now or or on a tandem bicycle with a you know one earplug in each ear and uh uh join enjoying the podcast together two on a bike. Right. Did that make sense? Yes, on a on a, a bicycle bill for two. Thank you. A bicycle built for two. That song is over a hundred years old. I don't know if you know that. Hey, listen, we're on we're on season three of this thing, and we are we are digging in. We're on episode four here, Andrew. I don't know if you're aware. I am aware. And this one's called Who Watches the Watchers? Who indeed? Who indeed? Hey, what do you think, Andrew, about breaking it down for us and telling us what, the, what happened in this episode? In only the way that you can do. <laughs> the Enterprise D is headed to Mintaka 3 to deliver supplies and repair a failing faulty reactor that belongs to a bunch of Federation scientists. They're just sitting up there in rocks studying the McTalkins, and everything seems harmless enough until the reactor starts going caddy-wumpus just before it goes kablooey, <laughs> blowing up their hidden observation posts. Well, only one of those two <laughs> words is, is starts with a, a C. Wouldn't you know it? A couple of McTalkins just happen to be passing by and see the newly visible duck blind you did the air quotes i did the air quotes just as the away team is fixing stuff and people and that kind of thing one of the matakins Liko, ends up seriously injured and dr crusher bev herself tosses the prime directive out the door to beam him up for medical aid wipe his memory says a peeved picard but when they beam Liko's ass back home he still remembers his trip to the enterprise and he believes Picard is a god. The next thing you know, Troy and Riker are doing some Mintakan cosplay to try and recover a lost scientist. And Picard has to convince the Mintakan's leader uh, he's just a cranky old man in a ship. Oh, oh, the hijinks. Will Riker and Troy be able to save the missing scientist? Will Troy end up sacrificed to appease a cranky Picard? Will someone please give Liko a haircut? <laughs> That's good. On STTNG's Not Another Star Trek podcast. Oh, man, this is a good one because we are outside again in real Earth airspace, like real sky, not that not that projected up on the ceiling business that they did in the original series. We are outside yep. on Earth, man. With real rocks, no, no styrofoam. But I do have to say that these are the same rocks that James Tiberius Kirk would would traipse across from time to time, these so-called Vasquez rocks. 
And it, I mean, anybody that is has appreciated Star Trek knows these rocks at this weird diagonal angle, you know, up to uh, a screen right. Every chance they get on Star Trek, they return to these. And we saw them do this in Discovery uh, Episode 1, yes. or Picard Episode 1. Uh, I don't know if you remember... Bill and Ted's bogus journey. <laughs> yes, actually. I and do. then the I third, the third Bill and Ted's too, they go back to this one. And then of course they're goofing on Star Trek, but right. They're these really distinct rocks in Southern California, San Fernando Valley. Yes. Agua Dulce, California. And it's where, where, where Kirk famously uh, has a mono mono with the Gorn, the Gorn captain in the classic episode arena. I think he's in a, a net mesh t-shirt or something. I forget what he's wearing. He's got a, a mankini on. I don't know. Does that episode have the music? Is that one from that one? And I still, I still don't really understand how Kirk builds that little bazooka. Well, that blows up the, uh, the, the Gorn. But don't you think this episode starts off in a totally goofy manner? Well, there's this distress call again. We get another distress call, and it's like a hurry up and get there situation. I mean, is that what you mean by the goofiness, or do you mean just like the premise of the whole thing in the first place? Well, no, the goofiness, because, it, you know, Data's just like, we go at warp seven, we'll get there in 23 minutes, <laughs> right. and then and then everything starts going bluey, and then, you know, Picard's like, well, in that case, let's go warp nine. I was like, why Why not go everywhere at Warp I 9? I know. Why? <laughs> Apparently, that, that's bad for the Warp core, I guess. So you would think that going Warps, any Warp would get you to where you need to go fast enough. What happens is they get this distress call. They dial it into the space on, on Mintaken 3. And then when they're on visuals with them, the base like blows up. It has a malfunction. And then Picard's like, oh, holy shit, Data, did you just see what happened? But but how much faster are they going to get there at Warp 9 than they get at Warp 7? That's the thing that I gets don't me is how meaningless it is. It's such a meaningless moment. The only reason they're going Warp 7 is so Picard can say, Okay, now make it nine. Listen, uh, uh, skip warp eight altogether, Data. Wouldn't it be funny if he sat down in his chair and you saw, like, for the first time, like, a gas pedal pulled out? Like, <laughs> hold on, strap what? in, a warp, sit down. We're going to warp flipping nine. It would have been better if they were going, like, warp four or five or something, because the jump from, from seven to nine, right. and I wanted Data to say, okay, now we're going to get there, and uh, we're saving a whole three minutes there, Captain. Well, because later in the episode, they're they're trying to scan these caves to find a missing scientist. Right. And Worf's like, you know, I can do all this work, and it'll get you like just like a measly four percent. And Picard's like, I want that four percent. Listen, I need that four percent, Klingon. And I don't know if you noticed, but at the very beginning, Troy and Riker are sitting there exactly, and she's laughing at something he said. That's exactly what I was thinking about when he's when he's saying ramp it up. What's the cruising speed on this spaceship? Because whatever it is, it makes it so they can just sit there and and, and goof around behind the scenes. Deanna Troy doesn't have to strap a seatbelt and, and everything's all good. And then it's like, OK, now it's warp four. You really better uh, brace yourselves, people. It was like a fake trauma. It was supposed to be fa- some fake but drama. But this is the pre preamble, and we we talked about this on the other previous two seasons, that sometimes they create this false opening where they want to try to drive some kind of action at the beginning, and we've noted a few times that they don't time it right sometimes, and they materialize like in a, a Costco uh, lobby or <laughs> in the elevator at the Target or something, and it's like, and that's where the drama is supposed to grab hold of you and bring you into the episode. But here, at least it's like, oh, we better get somewhere fast. I mean, that's kind of basic. It's just silly because the velocity of the ship is incomprehensible to us anyway. Right. I know. So ramping something from seven to nine, right. you could have just said, you know, we're going warp negative three. Let's move it up to warp uh, Gargamel. It's a- and it, it makes about <laughs> as much fucking sense to me. You're right. And it's a bunch of silliness for the show. And the idea that they stop it at, they, you know, it's so precious that they get to warp nine. And then, and then you know, sometimes when the Borg are in pursuit or, or, or you know, bigger enemies, it's like, uh, nine, uh, Captain, it's 9.2. Uh-oh. Like, like <laughs> when you go past nine, that's like when the shit starts to fly, man. It's, it's in. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. 
But what if what if they go too fast? Like in this case, what is it? it's like a go to warp nine, and they just fly right by the planet. <laughs> Suddenly they're in their neutral zone, the Romulan neutral zone. He's damn it, Data. You've got to be careful. Uh, I'm getting a call from deck 22. Hello. Yeah, hello, uh, Captain Picard. I, I really hate to bother you because I know the things have gone cattywampus and kablooey, but Come. You got the, 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 the puppies We the puppies were just not secure. We were in the middle of some really constructive frolic. The minute you floored it, the puppies, I mean, oh. it's really kind of messy down here, oh. Captain Picard. Oh, I, I, I don't want to bring you down or anything. Jesus but. Christ. I told you anytime we go warp nine, tell the Petco they've got to strap those puppies down. It's like that time Mr. Worf came down here and petted some of the puppies too hard. No. <laughs> I always pet them front to back. Beating a dead tog. <laughs> These puppies are inferior pets. This thing that went kablooey down on the planet that they're rushing to is really this, what they call in the show, a duck blind. I I mean, I'm going to put this in the category of these old fashioned terms that people in the future wouldn't be using anymore. And it's like our needle in a haystack or let's go mine the store or what's the other line that they say in that? Let's go. uh, Brought the house. Brought the house down these expressions that are totally from the 20th century and they don't belong in this future anymore and duck blind is one of them i mean especially the way they're using it what if they had some stunt casting and they had those guys from duck dynasty down there <laughs> and they're all wearing camo with their big old beards and saying all kinds of horrible stuff here's how we call them in talkings <laughs> and they're like now, now, Trump won this here election. He should be the, the captain of this ship here. They call it a three-man federation anthropological field team. <laughs> I still didn't say it right. <laughs> they call it a three-man field team, which, of course, is remarkably sexist because of poor Warren, who is going to die. Oh, the, the, yeah, there's, there's two men and a lady who dies. You know, uh, uh, Two men and a little lady. And, and I got to tell you, as far as federation jobs are concerned... Because what these fools are doing is they're parked out as anthropologists on this way. <laughs> just, just say scientists. <laughs> ant, ant, ant. It's scientists. <laughs> I'm going to pop my um, beautiful Perrier right now. Oh, yeah. I've already opened my, my beverage. I'm having a Topo Chico. Oh, I love those Topo Chicos. They're creepers for science is what they are. They're 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 in their little uh, little hidden place and they're peeking at you. They're watching them and talkings walk around and go to the bathroom and you know <laughs> but, whatever else the men talkings do. But I, I'm saying, as far as Federation jobs are concerned, I mean, this has got to be the suckiest job. I mean, you're off on this planet in the middle of nowhere and you're observing these people. And then what? Like, what are you doing in your free time? You're in the side of this mountain in this very small space. I mean, they can't get out of there. They can't leave because they might be seen by the... the. They're constantly, you know, just the three of them together in close quarters, which is an episode all in itself that we never really get into, which is probably better. The mind runs wild. It's just the idea of those three stuck in there. And it's hot. It's hot, well, right? I mean, it's hot outside. We don't know what it's like inside the mesa. Very arid desert uh, environment. When they were filming at Vasquez Rocks, they were filming there for two days, and it was 100 degrees. I find that hard to believe. That's really hot. And they're not allowed to wear deodorant or any kind of, you know, uh, scent masking because uh, there's snakes and scorpions out there that might be attracted <laughs> What? To to the smell of deodorant. I can't believe yes. that. That's crazy. You, but you could believe people flying through space in a big old ship. Come I on. Mean, you're saying that you're saying the actors are not allowed to wear deodorant, right? That is correct. That is correct. And, and I just thank the Picard that they switched it away from the spandex <laughs> because that would have been that would have been grim. Yeah, that's that's stinky. I, I it's funny because that's the fall in Southern California. It usually isn't quite that hot out there, but. But I guess it was that year. Well, but you also got to keep in mind that Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis have those appliances on, too. And all these other actors have these appliances on. It's got to be miserable. Uh, Those appliances are, you know, reactive to sweat. Yeah. So there had to be all kinds of tents and umbrellas and stuff over these people when they were sitting down and waiting to get on screen. There were a lot of foreheads to keep dry. And there was a lot of running around, too. So it's not like they're just. I mean, I, they do a lot of standing around, but that's mostly inside. When they're outside, they're like climbing up the rocks and chasing after Riker and, 
you know, going on an expedition with Troy to find Palmer. You know, there's right, it is, all right. kinds of activity going on there. And they're primitive people, right? I mean, they're primitive people. Well, I mean, they say we, they're do they even bathe. Well, they yeah, they're wearing clothes. They're not Neanderthals. They're they're Bronze Age people, right? Isn't that the idea? Yes, but Bronze Age they don't have internal plumbing, right? I mean, they're Bronze Age people. They probably stink. Well, I guess you're right. I mean, we didn't see any toilets again. I mean, here we go down to a planet. We don't see any toilets on the Enterprise, though, either, by the way. So as far as we know, you know, it would have been great when Riker was running. He's carrying Palmer and he hides in that little if he accidentally found the community toilet. <laughs> and he ended up, you know, just like, oh, I'm going to dive in here. And he just lands in a big shit hole. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, listen, fellas, remember when I jumped inside of Armis and I was like, oh, I'm all good for that. I know it's season three, but I'm still game. I'm pretty young still. <laughs> Let me glide right in there. Come on. It's kind of like a brown armis over here. Hey, corn. it's me, Commander Riker. Come on in. You could find me in the most unexpected places. But now you're made of feces and not tar. It's only feces on the top. It's all armis underneath. This is how armis does mintakin. And we're going to see this duck blind thing again in Insurrection. I know. And it's just, it, it's handled just, because there's so much going on here. Right. There's so many weird questions to ask. And it they never get into any of it. It's just kind of like a nice way to move the plot it along. It is, and I like, but the thing is, let me say this. I know it's silliness, and, and we're making it seem silly, this idea that people would stake themselves out on a planet and then watch other people and do whatever they do on the side. I get how boring that would be, but the idea that they're observing another race of people as they evolve very slowly, I think is interesting. I mean, I, I think that's an interesting idea. And like other ideas on the show, it's an interesting premise that they don't do a ton with. It does inspire right. the mind to think about it. This episode is all about the prime directive in action, right? Here we go again with this thing that we keep kicking around like a deflated football this idea about the prime directive and how important it is to the show. I love the optimistic future part of Star Trek, this idea that we're going to get to a point where we have evolved past war and money and all this stuff. But I, I really, it's beyond me, this idea about the prime directive. I know they use it as a constraint and a tension builder for this kind of an episode, but it's just such silliness. Well, see, I, I'm going to disagree. And, and I know Jean-Luc, we're Jean-Luc here right now. He would disagree with you as well, because it's necessary in the sense that, yeah, you can't just go to a place like Mintaga and just start hanging out with them and handing them weapons or showing them how replicators work. Right. They need to, uh, you know, sort of evolve naturally and in their time. It makes sense here. It just in this episode, and I'm at a loss to say that it, there is any episode like it in the sense that Picard's totally ruthless here when it comes to the prime directive. He's like, you know, we will die to protect this thing. And that's all there is to it. But how about this idea? Just don't go there. How about why be there in the first place? If it's such a potential mess that you're going to ruin you know, uh, a planet's uh, authentic evolution by being there observing. Maybe just it's a no-fly zone and, and you don't show up at all. This gets into some really weird kind of, we kind of touched on this once before, but this kind of metaphysical part of the 80s, this idea that aliens and alien abduction and this kind of fringy stuff was sort of, it's counterculture, but it was it was, I think, in the minds of the people making this show, this idea that, there could be aliens on our planet observing us, and what would they do? I like the idea of it. It just wouldn't make sense, though. Like, why would you be there if so much could go wrong? Well, I think the, that the idea is that they isolate themselves so something doesn't go wrong. It's just because the batteries blew up in their reactor that everything goes wrong. And I it is know. sort of a, a weird confluence of events, the kind of confluence of events that seem totally improbable in in fiction, you know, but it happens sometimes in real life. Or in a writer's room at Paramount. Liko is the name uh, of the father, and OG is the name of the daughter, and they're going to, uh, you know, observe the movement of the sun. That's kind of OG's project. They have a big-ass sundial out there, yeah. They see the stuck blind kind of blinking because it's exploded. Yeah. And the shields, yeah, the shields are down. They can see what's going on. And it, they just happen to be out there. They just happen to be, you know, doing their studies then when this happens. If, if it would have happened on another day, maybe another time, 
we wouldn't have had an episode here. Something's got to happen. But I want to defend the Prime Directive because I don't want space gods coming and screwing up the culture here. That doesn't seem like a good idea. Well, I think you're right that there there needs to be a set of laws, but they're so beholden to this Prime Directive. And I don't, and I get it. Like if you're really in space and that stuff was happening, fine. It's just that what I think a lot of times is at stake is the actual drama of the episode. But oftentimes they're willing to sacrifice the drama of things because they want to stick to this idea of the prime directive and they want to keep themselves out of too much trouble. Because of the lack of conflict in other areas of the show, that is conflict with the prime directive is a good place for drama. I think it's a good place to generate drama without sort of contravening what Roddenberry was saying about competition and and inter you know, Starfleet rivalry and stuff. So now your drama is them running up against their rules. Here they are trying to explore. Here they are trying to, you know, doing the whole Brave New Worlds thing. Right. But there's a limit and plenty of times they run up against it. So I like it because, you know, the initial drama of Bev Crusher taking Liko up to the ship to save him and right. Picard, I mean, he just says, you know, why don't you just let him die? Yeah, you know? it's pretty harsh. Liko climbs up once the duck blind camouflage starts uh, sparking out, he climbs up and looks inside, sees Data, sees Riker, sees these Starfleet people in there, and he's like, what the fudge am I looking at? Loses his balance and falls backwards, right? Yes. Knocks his head. Exactly. Beverly sees this and goes like, holy crap, we just potentially killed somebody that might uh, butterfly effect evolve into somebody very important in the future 10,000 years from now. And Picard's response is, why didn't you let him die, Bev? In the original series, this would be a McCoy-Spock argument. This would be a McCoy-Spock argument, and Kirk would have to get in the middle of it. Because McCoy would be absolutely, we're bringing him aboard, and Spock would be, that is illogical. This is, you know, you are threatening the very fabric of everything we believe. Sure, sure, sure. And, you know, Kirk would end up taking off his shirt and karate chopping them both. It's a good argument, and it ends up with Picard. Why didn't you just let him die? And when you're watching that, you're like, what? It seems so ruthless. But then later on in the episode, you know, Picard's going to walk the walk. He's going to stand there and say, fine, shoot me with your arrow. If you have to kill me to protect the Prime Directive, I'm totally down with that. Yeah, and I like that, and I like the other choices he makes later on, too, that are not about falling into all of the rules of the Prime Directive and letting his intelligence and his on-the-ground thinking kind of outsmart that. Like, obviously, this Prime Directive, these rules are are, are malleable, and, and, you, and you should be able to, as a captain, be able to show up and think on your feet if you have to, and, and that's exactly what he does in this episode. But at this point, when he's mad at Bev, and he's irritated that she didn't just let this guy die. I mean, I understand just letting him die if it was natural causes, like something that happened specific to the planet. But the idea that Starfleet accidentally caused this guy's death, then it's like, wait a second, Picard. Now you you are actually responsible for this. And his response is, so? Big deal. They got, they got Vulcans everywhere. You know how many Vulcans we got running around the Federation there, Bev? You think I can't? He's not even Vulcans. They're like half a Vulcan. What, a, what do you call that? A proto-Vulcan. I mean, come on. Proto. Wesley Crusher just created a race of nanites a few episodes back, and I basically flushed them down the toilet last week. <laughs> yeah, just send him a bucket of nanites. That could take this guy's... What's this guy's name? Lico? The hell kind of name is like a panda. Liko, look, come here. I'm going to show you something that a space god does. I'm going to see these little things. I'm flushing them right down the toilet like one of your proto-Vulcan goldfish. Goodbye, nanites. <laughs> and you're next, Liko. And Ray Wise plays Liko. And God, you know, Ray Wise has been in every show on the planet. Yes, again, right. please, please, everyone, Google him if you don't know. And as soon as his face shows up, I mean, that pronounced brow could not disguise him for two seconds from me. As soon as I saw him, I was like, wait a second. That's a Twin Peaks dad. Yeah, well, it was him in RoboCop. He recently had a, yeah. a role on that show, uh, Fresh Off the Boat. But he's been in everything. He's a really great actor. I don't want to just nail him to Twin Peaks because he's done a lot of other stuff. But his character in Twin Peaks is so creepy and creates part of what's great about the tone of Twin Peaks is that Palmer character is so weird and disturbing. But that wig, and I got to tell you, does his is his <laughs> ass always that big? Does he no. have that kind of big ass? Or do you think it was just that outfit 
that they padded his ass because he has a real bubble butt in this episode. Yes, that's on. All, I don't know if you've read this online, Andrew, but all the Star Trek, all the boards are lit up about uh, Laura Palmer's <laughs> dad's Vulcan ass butt. Well, his ass butt. <laughs> well, I mean, granted, the first time we see him, you know, we see him ass view going up the rocks. He's, he's scrambling up the rocks and he's got that big old cake on display. And, I, and later on in the episode, he's walking around. And I'm thinking, well, he's got a lot of junk in his trunk. I mean, he's he's backing a load there. He's got a dead daughter in there hidden somewhere. <laughs> and I don't know if that's that's like he's supposed to be wearing a diaper because that's how they take care of their business. I don't know. Yeah. It's, but also that Frankenstein monster wig they give him, too, is is just. Well, it's funny because so they're supposed to be Vulcans and it's like the Romulans. They've got this Mo Howard Three Stooges cut going on and straight across the forehead. Apparently, nobody since Leonard Nimoy is willing to actually do this in real life. So everybody else has to wear wigs doing this. And the wigs, you know, for all the wig technology, these wigs don't, you know, they look like wigs. And they're, so it's straight across the brow. And he's wearing one. And then Riker and Troy later on show up with their same kind of wig. If they're going to violate the prime directive at that point, what would have been great is while he was laying there, if Bev just like gave him a little trim Maybe some wings, some wings for the brangs, <laughs> and then, you know, kind of blew it out a little bit, give it some volume. I mean, just something other than that. It looks like he chews his hair off. I know. What do you cut this with? Uh, he's he's out there with his daughter, and they're looking at the sundial. It's like, and her job, his very big job is to, you know, keep track of the village sundial and she's doing a very good job and he's proud of her and then it's like yeah, listen you're really great with the sundial after this i need you to put the mintaka bowl on my head and please cut my hair like dad has taught you to do <laughs> with, a, with a sharp rock right uh, beat it away from my forehead this time okay not into <laughs> not into my forehead okay it's very important. Look, look, we're evolving. We're evolving. And the thing, you know, the thing about this that's problematic is the the portrayal of these people, these evolving people in the Bronze Age, they play them a little too dumb for my taste. I kind of think that if we got into a time machine and we went back in time and we talked to people, we wouldn't come across people that are talking in like kind of a slow-witted way. Well, but that's all. That's also that cliche in science fiction where primitive people speak perfect English, and they speak in this kind of weird syntax, but they speak slowly. You know, apparently <laughs> you can tell they are from the past because right. they have not invented contractions yet. Contractions are something an advanced people use, Dave. I am choosing my words very carefully when I talk to you, Andrew, because you are from the future. <laughs> I'm from the Bronze Age. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So they try to mind wipe his ass, or or Bev tries to mind wipe him. You want to talk about this mind well, wiping? Yeah, I uh, the mind wipe doesn't work. Okay, so the dude falls on his head and wakes up in the Enterprise, sees Picard. This is Laura Palmer's dad. And I and I know this is an exaggerated shot and stuff, but it's actually really done quite well cinematically. He's looking up, he sees Picard, and he looks kind of angelic or godlike. There's like kind of like a gauzy, misty. Oh. It's me, Jean-Luc, and I'm looking like a god. <laughs> And he and they call him Picard. Somebody calls him Picard, and so Laura Palmer's uh, primitive dad is like, "Okay, oh, oh, I am looking at a god now." And so then she puts him out, and then he's like, "Why don't you give this dude the mind wipe the way that old Doctor Pulaski used yeah, to?" Yeah, in pen pals, that's what she does to Sarjenka. But then Bev says, "John Luke, it doesn't work for everybody, but you know, I'll give it a shot. They're good at remembering these proto Vulcans." Listen, uh, uh, Bev, listen, listen. Yes. It works for Wesley. We haven't seen him all episode. <laughs> Remember? You told him to forget about when I put him in the Jeffrey's tubes. He's sleeping it off, Jean-Luc. Listen, Bev, it's very important. I want you to wipe that young crush's mind of all those nanites. I don't want that bullshit going on on my galaxy-class vessel again. What freaks me out, too, about Liko is that Liko, and at the end of the episode, he'll be totally, like, Vulcan-like, but he's so like, I've seen it with God. I've seen it. Yoshin. You know, he's so frantic. I know. I am very stupid now. I have seen a God. I am very stupid. Yes. 
He's very common sense in the beginning. He seems like a natural, regular old person who is not evolved, but he's got a human or Vulcan brain working in his head. He's caring. He's taking care of his daughter. You know, and as soon as he sees that God, it's not that you wouldn't. I, I mean, I would come unglued if I saw you know, Riker turn into a Q God or something. I might lose my shit, but I wouldn't start to lose my ability to formulate sentences. But, you know, in, in some ways I have some sympathy for him because, you know, that's freaky. He just like sees something freaky. He falls down. He gets hurt. Right. The next thing you know, he sees like big old bald British God. And there's probably some good colonial dialogue to go on to this. It's like, uh, don't worry, British God is coming to save you, you uncivilized Vulcan, you. <laughs> it, it could have been worse, though. I mean, at least it was Picard, and it wasn't Riker, who we've seen as a god, and he he was getting into it. Or, you know, like Wesley, how would Wesley have acted if, if he was like, Captain Picard, I'm a god now. You better start worshiping me. <laughs> Shut up, deity. <laughs> I am the creator. I'm going to call you Jean-Luc now, and you can't do anything because I'm God. You know, what? one of the things I really enjoyed about this episode was the little Deanna Troy and Riker walkabout. Yes. What they're going to do to solve this, because things are getting out of hand. The local population is realizing that there there are gods and the word is being spread that Picard God is here and can potentially solve death. So our empath and her on and off again, Imzadi decide to go down and disguise themselves as proto-Vulcans so that they can try to manage the crap that's going on down downstairs. And I got to tell you, when I saw them do that, when they landed on the planet together, the two of them, I was like, how many episodes into this series are we? We don't get a ton of it in this episode, but when I saw them walking out there together and kind of doing it, like walking together and like getting into the, a plan, it's like, yeah, where has this been? Yeah. This is fun. I, I want to see this. And it's pretty much stock original series stuff, too. I yes. mean, we've seen We've seen the original crew. Uh, we even saw Kirk as, as a Romulan at some point. Oh, yeah. You know, made up to be a Romulan right. in the Enterprise incident. We have seen the original crew dress up to blend in. Yeah. We've seen the original crew like walking among people in this way. And yeah, it's it's really overdue. And plus, you know, we're Troy lovers. We we love Troy. Oh my we God. want her to be used effectively. And here's a place where she's used effectively. Exactly. Right? I mean, she she even tries to manipulate the crowd. They're all believing in the Picard, and she's trying to pull them back from that using her counseling and empathic powers right. to sway them. Right, the Mintakans. Wait, let me ask you this, Andrew. Is this the first episode outside of being in the holodeck where we have our crew or anybody disguises anybody going down anywhere? I think so, yeah. You know, maybe that's why it was so refreshing. Not that I don't like those holodeck episodes. I mean, I love the dress-up part of it, but it did feel more real to see them doing this. And you get to see Riker's hairy chest again. We haven't seen that since Angel One. That oh big old God. pelt. <laughs> no, that, no, no. You know, I don't know why we had to see that. Talk about uncivilized. <laughs> I mean, God, you're, you're like being all like, oh, we're from space. We're all civilized. You can't manscape that thing. It's like a big old ferret in his shirt. <laughs> exactly. He's like, Riker, not all of you has evolved. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, but, I mean, honestly, it's like the chest hair for men club between the two yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, Picard's got his own fur lining going on, too. Lico at some point could have said, you know, OG, when we're when we're not busy, could you get the rocks and take him to Riker's chest hair there? Could you maybe, like, uh, trim that down? I think in um, Shades of Grey, he might have had some uh, 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 full chest plumage going, too, didn't he? Oh, that's right. That's right. We did see we did see the uh, uh, the Wolverine he has on his chest in uh, Shades of Grey. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, if you think I'm not going to keep track of every episode where I've seen a naked Riker chest, you're well, wrong. I love their interaction. I mean, they, they work well together, Riker and Troy. Yeah. There's some flirtiness to it. It's fun. Even when R uh, Riker leaves her, yeah. you know, she doesn't get like hysterical about it. He's not sitting there sticking his head against the wall like, oh, what have I done? It's like they're professionals. Well, he's not worried about a thing. I mean, the only problem with all that is that it doesn't last long enough. Right. 
and he's not worried about a thing, which is kind of... You mean a, them together, them together. Yeah, yeah, is that they're not... Either. I mean, it's the, the fun of it. It goes on for a couple of really short scenes, and then, of course, we don't get more of it, which is too bad. Him leaving her and going back up on the ship, I understand that that's like Starfleet business, but he is not worried for a moment about what's going on with her down on the planet. And a couple of episodes back at the end of season two, I mean, this poor woman was wringing her hands and sobbing hysterically about the death of her Imzadi. We saw this also in The Survivors, where Riker wasn't really particularly interested in Troy's suffering. But right. I think in yeah, his she was case... Like, yeah, she was emotionally tortured in her room, uh, hysterical, really hysterical, and, and Imzadi didn't show up one time to help her out. But I think in this case, you could make the argument that he is confident enough in her skills yes. that she could take care of herself. I, I And of course, you know, they have the arsenal of the of the Enterprise there. She's not in, you know, direct danger. It's not like uh, it's a Armist situation again. Sorry, Armist, where she's like crashed in a shuttlecraft and they can't rescue her. Exactly. It's like they could beam her out. No problem. I think that that's really where it was coming from. And I know she's emotionally connected in a different way. But whenever it's Riker at stake. Oh, oh, I miss your proto-Vulcan forehead and that pelt. I want to rub my my protruding brow through your the forest of your chest. Troy is stuck down there for quite some time, and the Hitakens are getting a little restless, and they're thinking about sac- Min Mintakens. I'm sorry, <laughs> Mintak. You said Hitakens. Oh, wait, isn't it with an H? No, it's Mintakens with an M. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just about memorizing this right at the end of this episode because I, I'm sure <laughs> we're going to run across the Mintakens again. So the Mintakens are going to sacrifice Deanna Troy to appease their. God, perceived God, this Picard God, and they're going to shoot her with an arrow, okay? And and so Troy is cool as a cucumber. I've never seen somebody stand on a firing line that isn't less worried about her own safety. And so she's standing there, and this drama plays out where they're trying to decide, and they're going like, are we going to shoot her? Are we going to appease the gods? And they're arguing about it. This is, hey, hey, Deanna, this is your cue to skedaddle. Start run for it, man. Well, but part of it is we've talked to before about how she keeps a lot of her feelings inside, that she controls her feelings. Sure. Maybe she had a plan. Maybe she was going to tuck and roll. And we don't know what she had up her sleeve. If anybody's ever training an arrow with a bow and arrow on you for all, th- I mean, you could get killed. Yeah, right. But, I mean, right. come on. Your chances are you run for it. You got some better odds. Run and kind of zigzag while you're going. I mean, and I know it's not that kind of show. She had to make it up a flight of stairs, I think. This is the kind of stuff where I always bump up against the original series and think just a little sequence where she tried to escape or they spent a right. little more time making kind of the set or the circumstance seem a little more realistic about shooting her. Then fine. They don't want to put that kind of effort into the drama of this. They don't want to put that kind of tension into this. And I understand that for whatever reason, they don't want you to well, feel Well, Picard that. has to save the day. Why she doesn't have a little phaser, one of the little smaller <laughs> right. phasers. Like a... a a Derringer phaser. Yeah. I, I mean, imagine she's in the original series. They put her up in a firing line. They're going to really shoot her. She's she's tied up. She's in a thing where you can't get her out. And I know this is terrible. I don't want my poor Troy treated like this. I'm just saying that's how you ratchet up the drama a little bit instead of having right. her stand there and go, uh, well, she's giving it to these people to decide whether she lives or dies instead of saying, you know, like, I have my own agency. I don't want to die. I have to tell you the one thing about this episode that does kind of work me a little bit, that does bother me, is how easy the Mintakins are swayed by Liko. You know, he's got some kind of nutty story, and then the next thing you know, there's a few coincidences. I know. And I know you you were saying about the Mintakins seeming like they're not that smart, but they're proto-Vulcan. They're doing things like measuring the sun. They're speaking in a very reasonable manner. I see the sun. Even Nuria is 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 a very reasonable person who can talk to Picard. And it just seems Liko is able to convince them real fast right. about what's going on. It's like they're like, yeah, okay, you know what? I could go for that. I've been I've been really devoted to reason and everything. But you know, some superstition, yeah, I could do that. 
I get it and I like it. It's just not so thoughtful when you're dealing with him. And he's, he, cause he de evolves. I mean, he's speaking in complete sentences in the beginning. And he, lo- when he starts losing his mind, when he sees the God Picard, it's an infection. And that's what they're trying to say is like this kind of idea of witchcraft or this, you know, pseudoscience, this insanity that people get wrapped up in when they see a thing or think they see a thing is infectious. And I get the commentary on that, but. The idea that's going to explode their society, especially when the guy isn't even able to form a, a proper sentence anymore. Maybe you could say, hey, Liko, is, did you hit your head on a rock or something? What happened? Or what Troy says, you know, that sounds like a very interesting dream, you psychopath. I did not have dreams. That was not a dream. <laughs> well, that's just what I expect someone was dreaming to say. I only had a power nap. <laughs> But there's a real slippery slope argument going on here, too. And it's it's interesting how anti-religious this episode is. And I've never seen any pushback on that, right? Mm -hmm. So they were very concerned about some areas of the Bible Belt when they were putting the show out. Meanwhile, they make a direct statement, right? Because Baron, one of the doctors of of the duck blind, says that it's inevitable without guidance that religion could degenerate into inquisitions, holy wars, and chaos. And Picard says, horrifying. Yes. So Riker's like, belief is going to become a religion. Baron's like, yes, religion's going to become inquisitions and holy wars and chaos. And Picard's like, that sounds pretty bad. I just wonder how many people from the Bible Belt were still watching the show at this point. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. I don't don't know. This is what's great about this show is pushing ideas like that. And we we have seen this not enough in these first three seasons. That's what was so adventurous about the original series, that they really were pushing things. This show's been more careful about it. And when it shows up, I like to see that. I mean, I like that discussion, this idea about God. Let me ask you this, though. These three goofballs that are sitting in this duck blind, right? Yeah. How could you not believe in a god and spend your very small amount of time in the galaxy sitting for years in a room with three people on another planet where you can't interact to go outside into the sky space? I mean, you've got to believe in a god or something. I mean, that's the worst existence. They believe in science. Oh, but I mean, that existence is so terrible. Why does that lead to a belief in God? I mean, it, it. Oh, because I'm saying that, like, why would you waste your precious moments in the galaxy sitting in a room smelling the space? farts of two other people (laughs) for years when you could be traversing around the galaxy endlessly for your very precious short amount of existence that that we all get i mean that that's what i'm saying that leads this is what they get off on this is their thing science they're totally dedicated to science oh my god you know they're nerds this whole show is like nerd fest well picard is given this solution he's yeah, well, Baron, solution Baron, wants, is... Baron wants Picard to go down and give them guidelines they believe that Picard is the overseer so Baron's like why don't you go down there and give him some laws yeah Baron's one of the why don't you give him like a 10 yeah why don't you give him like a 10 commandments go all Moses on this dude right. and 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 you know have him have him strap OG to a rock and and almost kill her before you go nah psych Kidding. And I, I love that Picard's answer is no, I, I call bullshit on that. And I you know what I yes. love that part of this episode because it seemed like it was going in a way that the episode often does. They set out the story and they say, Okay, now we are going to go do a thing. And Picard's like, No, no, no. This is bullshit. I'm not doing any of that. I'm not acting like a god. Did you see what happened to Will Riker in season one? Well, no, that did the the solution is just go ahead and and bring Nuria up and tell her what's going on because Baron. So Nuria's the uh, elder, which is nothing new. I mean, right. he's brought you know, and he will bring people aboard the Enterprise in various circumstances. Let me tell you this: I love this idea of bringing people up onto the Enterprise, and they did it in the original series a couple times. 
And I, I just love the Alice through the looking glass quality of this. I mean, this is totally science fiction at its best when they do it. And they do it. I think they do it right. Reven from Justice to show her God was floating in space. Right. Picard did that a little more casually than, yes. than he's supposed to. Very casual. But this whole- Don't put on any pants. Come up here in that mini skirt with no <laughs> underwear and then check out the, the, the Enterprise. Arthur C. Clarke had three laws. And one of his laws was that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. So if you were able to go to a primitive people, Dave, and and whip yes. out a flashlight, they would like freak out. It's like, whoa, this is your magic glow stick, dude, dude. Holy shit, look at that thing. The argument that something like the Enterprise does seem outerworldly to people who are not as quote-unquote evolved as sure. Picard and the Federation are. It cracks me up when she's freaked out by the doors. <laughs> she sees the doors and she's like, whoa, look at those doors. Wait a second. And Picard's surprised by it when he sees her freak out by the door. Yeah. He should have been on the comm right away. Like, Beverly, you better get down here with a sedative. I'm about to let her look out the window into outer space. Yeah, where's where's the point where they beam her when she just shits herself <laughs> yeah. in fear? And this is what I love about this. I mean, I love thinking about what it would be like if you were like us and somebody beamed us onto something. It would be like, what the hell? And I mean, how amazing that would be. And ah! oh, my God, what the hell just happened? I don't know, man. I, I think we we're just destroyed the subatomic level and then somehow reassembled somewhere else. Oh, Faith and Begora. Hi, Captain. I got those two Waynes you were looking for. Welcome, gentlemen, to the Enterprise. Oh, holy shit. Holy mackerel. Dave, it's John Flippin' Luke. Oh, my God. And he's 30 years younger. Call me Captain, please. Ugh, hang on a minute, man. That that beaming made me a little queasy. You know those corn dogs you guys just ate? Yeah, it was a a five-for-one deal. You don't have Darwiner schnitzel in the 24th century, do you? You know, we beam those corn dogs right out of you. Aye, and I even cleaned up a few of your leavings. Come on, gentlemen, follow me. Let me give you a grand tour of the ship. Dave, look at that over there. Isn't that cool? Do you think we could talk into these panels while we're going by? Ask the computer something. Dave, 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 that dude is totally wearing a skirt. I want to get me one of those man skirts. Those things look really comfortable. I'll tell you what, they're very breezy. Listen, fellas, when Majel came on, Jean made me dress up in a moo-moo. Come here, boys. Look, we've got the best view of planet Earth. Hey, what's in this? What's over here? Holy shit. Are those? Oh, my God. David's puppies. Oh, my God. Puppies, man. (laughs) Yes, yes, puppies. Sure. Look over here. We're in space, guys. Puppies, man. Oh, my God. He's so cute. He likes me. He's so cuddly. Puppies are wonderful. Have you ever seen a Klingon? Here, throw the ball for that one, Dave. Throw the ball. Run, little feller. (laughs) Oh, for fuck's sake. Oh, Brian. Beam these two dickheads out of here. Aye, sure, Captain. I'll send them right out into space. Send the puppies to... The magic of it, and they capture that here as best they can, and it's really interesting, and I I love the turn of that in this episode, that Picard is willing to kind of outthink what is supposed to happen in the Prime Directive and go, no, hold on a second. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to bring one of these dummies up here and I'm going to try to convince them that, you know, we exist. And 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 that's a gr- I mean, where have we ever seen that before in science fiction on on TV? We haven't seen it. And it's a really interesting thing to see play out. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to solve our violation of the Prime Directive by really violating the Prime Directive. But the thing where she's freaked out by the doors right. would have been great if Picard had just said, oh, come on, it's not a big deal. Uh, see those two Teamsters? See those guys there? They just yank the door ropes. It's not that big a deal. Hello. Lou, do it again, please. Hey, no problem there, Captain Picard. He likes to be called Captain Picard. Well, just yank the rope there, Lenny. It's way easier to open and close those doors than it is to cut that straight line across the unibrow. <laughs> and she's got some, I mean, talk about some giant, I don't know if those are eyebrows or giant 
Right. Been talking caterpillars that climbed up on her face. But he also, this is a, the, another time where Picard totally undersells it because he did this in Survivors. He should have been telling them, like, look how bitching this ship is, man. Look at all the stuff it could do. And he, he totally doesn't sell it here either. Right. It's like she's freaked out by the doors. And he's like, the doors? <laughs> I'll show you some crazy shit. Have you ever, you ever seen a puppy? Right. Yeah. Do they have golden retrievers on your planet? And just like, you know, stand here for a second and we'll we'll have an, an entity knock you up. You can just have a kid just by standing there. Hang on a second. I, I don't want to blow your mind too much, but there's a thing we call an elevator. <laughs> You're really gonna lose your shit on that one. Yeah, he's not he's not a really good ambassador. Of, well, of he's the trying ship. to be he sell it too look, well. he's trying to be careful. I mean, I mean, talk about losing her mind if you took her down to the mess hall and showed her how those those meal cards worked or that you could just talk into the computer and anything you want comes out of it. Or you go to a holodeck and you can bring back New Orleans or, or a horse riding episode or Dixon Hill. I mean, that well, was, yeah, she lose she, it. totally blow her mind. Look, look this, see where I'm riding the horse right here. It's only a hundred miles away from where that giant cliff is where <laughs> uh, William Shatner fought the Gorn. You better really blow your mind. Let me introduce you to William Shatner. <laughs> Bill, Bill, come in here. I also like the fact that he tries to reason her into it. Like, you know, she's supposed to be a proto-Vulcan, so I'm going to convince you. So Nuria only, only, is only convinced, though, when, when Warren dies, because he, I love that part where he tells her all that stuff, and then she's like, yeah, that's cool. I totally get what you're saying. By the way, can you bring all these dead kids back? Picard convinces her that they're from a more evolved future race of people and she can get her mind around that but she cannot understand this idea about bringing somebody back from the dead because that's what she thinks happened in the beginning to laura palmer's dad right so then when when warren dies <laughs> so warren is one of the scientists who was originally in the duck blind and unfortunately for her she is victim to this plot because she can't be cured of whatever the hell happened to her in this accident but is very conveniently available to, to die in the last 10 minutes of this narrative. And we should say that there are three scientists. There are, there are Baron, Warren, and Palmer. And Palmer ends up missing. We haven't talked about Palmer and all because who cares? They We're not really him. sure why Warren dies, what she dies of exactly. Well, she dies because they want to make a point. That's that's why. Oh, there you go. She dies of plot convenience. Yeah, unfortunately. And so Beverly calls up Picard and says, you know, Warren's not going to make it. And Picard's like, wait a second. And he hustles, what's her name, down to sickbay. Nuria. Yeah, so that she can witness somebody dying, basically. And the point is made that they can't bring back people from the dead, dis despite the fact that they can put somebody in the transporter and unage them or suck somebody out of a space cloud and reassemble their atoms into another version of themselves. Just because we can like make you disappear and then reappear somewhere else hundreds of thousands of miles away, not even on the planet. Right. But no, no, I'm sorry. We're just as human as you are. We can't cure death. Do you think there's any point where, where Picard, this is like a, a scene that was cut out where Picard was like, <whistles> listen, Bev. Uh, how's Warren doing? Do you think you might want to, you know, give her a little push <laughs> into the light? If you know what I mean, I'm not I'm not doing it here with this man talking and I need to need to make the point. Like he said early in the episode, he said, you know what your next job is. <laughs> He's very pointed with Bev early on, but it's like, uh, Warren, you know, she's getting up in the years. Come on. <laughs> no one will miss her. She's in a duck blind. He's like, score. Now let me take her down and, and get everyone squared away yeah. just in time for Troy not to get shot by an arrow. Yes, he shows up and he puts himself as Picard God and says, hey, look, if you think I'm such a big God, then why don't you shoot my ass with that arrow and you'll see just how real I am. And then they shoot his ass with that arrow, which is actually, you know what? It's not funny to see somebody being shot by an arrow. And I know all the you know the people that think I'm too much about this violence and stuff will think, I've got some kind of mean streak, but for some reason, I thought it was really funny when he got shot with that arrow. Wow. <laughs> because the first thing I thought was he just got wow. that heart fixed, like not seven, eight episodes ago. <laughs> and, and that dude just shot him in his, in his artificial heart again. Damn it. Shoot your poison arrow at Picard. Lico, shoot your arrow. 
Shoot that poison arrow at my heart. Ouch. And Pulaski's like, God damn it. Well, listen this time, Johnny. I'm busy. Listen. You're treating me like crap when I'm on your ship. I ain't going to fix that heart this time. You're on your own. Uh, young crusher, keep this on the down low. We, we need to take another trip for uh, five hours. Yay! We've got to figure out where Pulaski is and that guy from Murder One. We need to fix my goddamn heart again. Yeah, I'm so excited you got shot in the heart, Captain Picard, because I, I got a couple of really good arguments about why you should be my dad. This time I'm not bringing any books. You have my full attention, young crusher. That's really great. I've been working on a PowerPoint. <laughs> you should be my dad. Slide one. You killed my other dad. No, no. You totally owe me. <laughs> Slide number two. You're totally hot for my mom. Yes. It makes me so uncomfortable the way you look at her. <laughs> it's just Picard, but Picard's good, man. Picard's He's fine. all he. He did that feigning. Remember when they were on that phaser range? He and Riker, and he was avoiding those. Yep lasers those phaser beams remember that that's when that's when that came in handy i mean he moved just enough he just got a nick no he didn't move og nudges or or hits uh og jumps in the way picard just stands there and gets an arrow shot it to him i don't know i don't know what the because it's badass he's like we we will need to die for the prime directive and it's like okay it's time for you to die for the prime directive dummies he's like so you think i'm not gonna do it watch my ass Watch my captainly ass. Hey, dummies, shoot me if you have to. I'll get resurrected upstairs. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Listen, we can really cheat death. We just didn't like Warren. We can fix all this shit. Warren's a bit of a pain in the ass, and I owed her 500 credits for a poker game. She's really alive anyways. We faked that whole shit. You'll never see her because we'll be in space. So the last scene is is we see Picard with the Mentakins and he's got okay. his sling on. And this is actually one of the one things I love about the show. They give him this little tapestry yeah. as a gift, like, you know, don't forget us. I saw We're that. gonna see that tapestry on his chair in his quarters throughout the series. We do yes, we will see that tapestry over and over again. Oh, that's cool. And it's All it's right. it's that's a nice great. moment. I I really like this episode. I, I do. really do. I mean, it has some goofy moments, but I really enjoy it. I do, too. And I think, I mean, again, I think sometimes we're hard on this, but it's all from a place of love. And I definitely thought this was a good one. I think it inspired this idea of science fiction that, you know, the original show was so great about. I think we got some of that here. And I I think this was one of the better episodes, despite all of the things we've said. I still think it's a good one. (laughs) It's good, man. And then next time we have a little thing called the bonding. And I'm not going to say anything about it. It's just next. I don't remember the bonding at all, except there's a child in it I saw from the Yes, there is a child. And trying to I'm trying to think how I'm going to share my thoughts with you without offending you as a parent. <laughs> oh great. So we'd like to say thank you to you, Andrew, for spending this time with uh-huh. us. Um I'd like to say thank you to the audience for enjoying this episode with us. This is episode three point four, if you can believe it, of our Star Trek Rewatch podcast. ST and I Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I just want to echo your your gratitude. I mean, it, as we were joking about it before, but we realize you take an hour out of your life to enjoy this this silliness, and uh, I hope it brings you some degree of joy. It 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 brings us joy to bring it to you. And if you haven't received enough joy from us, you can visit our website at tngeez.com for more uh, shenanigans and all of the past 50 plus episodes archived for your enjoyment all free absolutely free it's all free but what it does to your soul that's where you pay the price (laughs) (laughs) so thanks for listening to sttng's not another star trek podcast I'm Commander Davey Dave signing out. And I'm Ambassador Andrew wishing you well. Let's go mine the store. No proto-Vulcans were harmed in the making of this podcast. I don't know that that's true. I, I'm feeling kind of sore around my head where you, yeah, I hit it on that rug. Shut up, Lico. Just shut up. Now you know how to build a galactic duck blind, right? Well, goodbye, Laura Palmer's dad, and hello to Sorrow, my 
old friend. There, there, Mr. Wharf, it's okay. It's not my fault. She was very clumsy. It's Season 3, Episode 5 of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast, The Bonding. In this episode, in this beginning, we are starting to realize that Starfleet is a pretty flipping dangerous place. We'll learn that empaths don't predict worth a shit. I predict someone in the future will come across an IED on the planet, and, and Marla Astor it will probably be that person. No, it's just like, oh shit, someone's going to get hit. The mob, boom! And council, council, council. She councils like crazy in this thing. And the reason why she has to council, though, is because... Uh, Marla Astor was the mother of Jeremy. Honestly, this episode is kind of a bummer, man. So this episode really is one long counseling session. And I really felt like I was in some like family therapy episode. (laughs) The crew discusses enterprise maintenance. Commander Worf, did you replace the windshield washer fluid as I asked? No, Captain, I'm sorry, I forgot. I... I have failed you. Riker talks to Data about the ladies. Listen, Robot, how well does anybody really know anybody else? You know what I'm saying? And sometimes you need to break a few eggs to make a good omelet. Well, eggs or moms. Poor Jeremy. It was worth it to sacrifice one mother for a really good episode, don't you think, number one? It's season three of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek podcast. Episode four, The Bonding. I did not have dreams. That was not a dream.